0: Daily is The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Coast, and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Elaveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1:30 Pacific, 4:30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast The Brief. Our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Melissas I am here with co-host Carrie Alaveld, and today we're going to have a great show. We're going to be talking to Julian Castro. You lost saw him. You last saw him running for president back in what was it? Twenty this last
1: time? 2020. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. And uh,
0: he is making some noise down in Texas, so we're going to be asking him. It looks like he's making some rumblings about maybe running for office next year. And I, I, Democrats are feeling pretty feisty about Texas, and and we've been talking about Texas a lot, Carrie, Even last week, we had uh, Christina Tintun-Ramirez, who uh, ran for Senate uh, last cycle in Texas, and we talked a lot about Texas, and we're going to talk about Texas some more. Texas really is becoming— the battleground to end all battlegrounds. I mean, if we can get Texas to flip at the Senate level, you know, get some of those House seats and the presidential level really makes it hard for Republicans to compete at various levels. So it's becoming a very critically important state, also a very complicated state, a very expensive state, a very big state, and a Democratic base in Texas isn't very well performing, doesn't really turn out uh, at the polls, so there's a lot of challenges, but a lot of opportunity, and so I'm sure we'll be talking to Secretary Castro about those topics when he comes on at the top of the hour. But right now, Carrie, you have been writing a lot about Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. It's, it's almost becoming like your obsessive beat because it <laughs> actually is a quite a fascinating story. It's what happens to a governor that willfully and negligently basically kills off a substantial part of his constituency and the way things are going right at this point, his base. And so you've been keeping a really close eye on that. What are you seeing right now, Carrie?
1: Well, and and just to make sure that we can include Governor Greg Abbott of Texas in that same, you know, like they're kind of the top two Republican governors who are like personal freedom at all costs, you know, yeah, yeah. And, you know, kids under 12, well, they're just on their own. Good luck. Sorry, kids. You know, I mean, that has that basically been their, you know, mantra through this. But I'm sure we'll get into the politics of Texas with uh, Secretary Castro. So in terms of Florida and DeSantis, I mean, you know, I, I, first of all, I know that Florida always breaks the hearts of Democrats, right? I mean, <laughs> we, every year it's like a little bit bigger heartbreak. And uh, and 2018 was no exception. When when DeSantis got elected, um, 2020 was no exception. So anyway, but in 2018, DeSantis won election by like, what, 0.3% of the vote. I mean, you know, it was not an over, it was under it, half it, a point.
0: It was a Florida election,
1: Right, it, it's it was standard. under half a point. Yes, right. So this is so. So this is a guy now who decided that. I mean, first of all, just to give a brief history. He went to the White House in 2019 while Trump was still president. Sorry, in 2020, while Trump was still president. And in May of 2020, declared, you know, victory over the coronavirus. Well, that was really smart. You know, two months later, he was he was he had to backtrack at not even two months. Within a month, he had to backtrack and he had to order closures of bars and stuff because they were having a huge surge there. Um, I think when the Delta surge came around, he and people like Governor Abbott staked the cl- the claim on you know we're gonna we're gonna champion personal freedom and individual liberty at all costs, right? And I think maybe at the beginning of this, they thought that the sur- Delta surge wouldn't be that bad, wouldn't go on so long, it would kind of fade from memory quickly, and then they could come out saying hey, I was always, you know, when they make their GOP presidential bid, I was always for personal freedom and I never let up on that, right? I never took my my foot off the pedal. Uh, unfortunately, in both of their states, It the COVID cases have just exploded. And I feel like I I could be wrong. I think that they painted themselves into a corner that they Mm -hmm. couldn't get out of. So they've tried to like walk this line of having it both ways where they're like mildly supportive of vaccines. You know, like DeSantis had one throwaway line in a speech where he said that vaccines were saving lives. And so now he's quote unquote pro vaccine, right? But at the same time, he's literally gone to war with anyone, any school official, any local official who wants to mandate masking, who wants to mandate vaccines in any way, he has he has banned local mass mandates, and just recently his board of education, handpicked by the florida governor has has said that it's going to punish two counties in florida that, that implemented mass universal in school masking they're not the only ones they were among the first now there's about a handful of some of the biggest school districts in that state that are, including Miami-Dade and Broward, that are um, doing universal in-school masking. And now the Board of Education is saying, hey, we're going to dock your pay for that. Those top school officials, are go- members of the board are going to have docked pay. So, so I want
0: to I I I stress two points that you've sort of made. I think they're very important points. One of them is some of these Republicans have made, including Donald Trump, too, do sort of slip in the get vaccinated, and, but it's a throwaway line. And it's clear what they're doing is because they know they're going to get hit in the general election. They need to first get through the primary, right? So it's going to be all about personal freedom, 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 freedom. They're going to get hit. But what happens in the general election when a Democrat starts saying, you got people killed by being anti vaccine? They can then run that three second clip, right? And they think right. that that's going to inoculate them. It might. I don't know. You know, who, who knows? I'm. I'm <laughs> The fact that Donald Trump almost won despite half a million dead Americans still like I still haven't gotten over that. So I still don't quite. I also think
1: that's the reason he lost. He almost won. But I also still think that's probably, the reason he lost. Probably. So, anyway, now, yeah.
0: The second part that you were mentioning, though, is that Republicans, for whatever reason, have decided that they're going to go to war with schools. They've literally launched a defund the schools movement in order to keep kids from being safe. And. This, to me, becomes a much more difficult sort of tactic to defend in any kind of general election. You're literally, I mean, we, Carrie, you're a parent, I'm a parent, right? We fight to keep our kids safe. Yeah. And suddenly, because of QAnon or because of Facebook craziness, I don't even know why, you have Republicans literally fighting to make their kids less safe. And you've seen—I I know you've got the numbers offhand, right? But this is not particularly popular. I don't think it's really selling well in broad America, is it? This notion that you punish schools for trying to keep our kids safe.
1: No, it, it's not selling well in broad America, and it's not selling well in Florida either. Let's do—let's do one number that jumped out to me. It was from a, a Monday poll released Monday by USA Today and Ipsos, Ipsos. And in that poll, I mean, first of all, I just have to say, I've been keeping track of the polling of this on mask mandates, on vaccine mandates, on anti-maskers, etc. And what I am seeing, I think, and I, don't, I can't give you like a scientific measure of this, but I feel like I have seen public opinion grow more and more agitated and entrenched against anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers, right? So as, you know, we started like in the 50 percentile of we're pro-mask mandate, you know, sort of majorities, always majorities, 55 percentile, et cetera. I feel like it's gotten up now. It's regularly you're seeing the 60, 65 percent pro-mask mandate, pro-vaccine mandate in certain situations for certain kinds of workers, et cetera. And this Ipsos um, USA Today poll sort of summed it up for me, and in it, 70% of Americans agreed that individuals had a right to choose not to vaccinate, but they didn't have the right to be around the vaccinated, right? So just think about this. This is basically 70% of our population, our adult population right now, has at least one shot right? And more than 50% are fully vaccinated in the US. And I feel like that's like that 70% is basically saying, sure, if you don't want to vaccinate, fine, you do you. But guess what? You don't get to be around me and the other people who have acted responsibly not only to help our health, but to help the health of the community as we try to get back to life, right? And yeah. I feel like that is a, a sentiment that's, hap- that's really taken hold among people who have done the right thing, followed the science, worked to protect them, themselves, their families, and their communities.
0: Yeah, I'm really frustrated, Carrie. That that I'm having to wear a mask. Nobody loves wearing a mask. Now, to save a life, easy call. I'm even going to keep wearing a mask if I'm like in a poorly ventilated, crowded place like a subway. Because you know what? I like not getting the flu last year. Uh, not, yes. COVID aside, I like not getting all the other nasty stuff that normally came with the, with living in a in a in a city. And but that said, I'm really exhausted and tired of having to wear a mask when I did the right thing and the people around me did the right thing to protect the people that continue not to do the right thing. And of course, those are the people that are not wearing masks either. So the responsible have to not just bear the burden you know, for, for themselves and their communities, but they also have to bear an even bigger burden because those people aren't vaccinating. And I still don't understand. I, I haven't seen a real reason why especially now that we have full FDA clearance on the Pfizer vaccine, why we're not requiring that to be inside airports, to be inside of ports of public transportation. I'm glad to see a lot more venues, concert venues starting to require vaccination. Um, Some of them require a a negative COVID test. That's not good enough. It's too easy to fake. You know, you can (laughs) just take a piece of paper. I can print one out right now, but um, it's to start making it difficult to be be unvaccinated, make it uncomfortable. Now, if you live out in North Dakota and you in your farm, and I don't care. Do whatever you want. Have your your freedom. But if you're going into my supermarket, if you're going into my airport, anywhere where I have to be because I have to interact with society, museums, what so on, I don't think it's a big ask. I don't think especially particularly for the kind of crowd that insists that they're not going to vaccinate because they don't know what's in that vaccine. But they're going to pump themselves up with horse de-warmer, Okay. Sheep <laughs> and like, cattle, that. livestock dewarmer, <laughs> and whatever other, you know, cockamamie, Clorox, you know, with <laughs> Donald Trump, like that, they don't have no problem with that. But right. they, they're so ideologically opposed to the vaccine, yet they're still clearly afraid of the, the virus itself. It's killing people. It's killing their communities. It's running rampant. So now they're looking for the alternative that isn't the vaccine because that what that would admit that they were wrong the whole time. This is what we've come down to,
1: or 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 some of them are just deluded based on the you know YouTube rabbit hole, Facebook rabbit hole they went down in terms of conspiracy theories, etc. I mean, I, I think since we've got since the FDA fully approved right um, the Pfizer vaccine, I wish the federal government would just aggressively do everything possible to force this on people and not just for the sake of forcing it on people but because public health is at stake i mean the reason we had this setback is because you know 50% or so of the population you know was or maybe a little less but anyway was against getting vaccinated and because we didn't have more, you know much over 50% of the population fully vaccinated we are dealing with a giant Delta surge across the country, and it's certainly worse in some regions than others, but it's it's affecting everyone across the country. We both live in the Bay Area. It's a we've you know, it's affected us here, um, even though California has a fairly high rate of uh, vaccination. So, yeah. you know, I I, I I think the I would like to see the The federal government is doing good things like, you know, Joe Biden has ordered all federal workers to get vaccinated. I believe he has, um, you know, the the military now is going to require all active duty members to get vaccinated. But I think that they should just push through as many of those things as quickly as they can, because, you know, Democrats, I mean, it, it is a matter of saving lives. Number one. And number two, democratic chances in 2022, I still think are going to rise and fall much more on the pandemic and whether or not people feel like some semblance of normalcy has returned to their lives than it is going to fall on the Afghanistan withdrawal. Right. Um, yeah. So the more things that they can do to get more people vaccinated and to make it more difficult for people who aren't vaccinated to to participate in society and get the rest of us sick the better off we all are from a public health standpoint and the better off Democrats will be next year when it comes to the midterms.
0: You know, one of the big ironies about this is, you know, sort of shifting back to the school, you know, the school fight, right? Over masking in schools. I have, I have two high school age kids uh, 17 and 14 and they and kids around town here, because in Berkeley, California, it's very not controversial to wear a mask, right? So you don't have parents railing against them. You don't have people in the, screaming about it in stores and whatnot. Just kind of a little insulated bubble. These kids wear their masks everywhere. Like, they don't care. Like, I see them walking on the street wearing masks. And even when we had that moment where, we, where I was able to say, guys, you know, we're vaccinated. We can actually take the masks off outside. They're still right. wearing their masks. They don't think it's a big deal. It's normal for them to um, – and, and my son plays competitive soccer, high-level competitive soccer. He was wearing a mask. He's been wearing a mask in basic training. Now he's, out, he's in basic training in Fort Benning, Georgia, infantry, wearing a mask. It's not that big of a deal, and I will never understand why it became such a cultural flashpoint. I mean, people wear – helmets when they're on a bicycle. Uh, They wear seatbelts in a car. People do things for public safety. They wear shoes and a shirt when going into a dining establishment. I mean, these are not. This
1: this is kind of off the beaten path. But, you know, what's amazing is how badly a fringe piece of the GOP base and a loud and vocal fringe piece of the GOP base is desperate to have people lie to them. So when Trump the other night during one of his rallies said, you know, the vaccines work, I suggest you get one. You know, he didn't give like a full-throated endorsement, but he kind of like, you know, touched on it. He said, I got vaccinated and they're all booing. They don't want to hear that the vaccines work, not even from da- Donald Trump. You know, you be, you got uh, representatives like, uh, is it Dan Crenshaw? I can't remember. Yeah. So. Republic, he's a GOP member of the house. He was at a private, um, function, uh, uh, I think a fundraiser and he said, Hey, don't fool yourselves. We didn't, you know, the election wasn't stolen from us. Like we lost it. Don't delude yourself so that we lose the next election. And he got like practically booed out of the room for that. These, these, this segment, and it's a fairly large segment of the Republican party is desperate to be lied to. And they don't want to hear otherwise. They don't want to hear otherwise about the vaccine. They don't want to hear otherwise about, you know, the theory of the election being stolen, even though there's zero evidence to back it up. I mean, you know, they just, and and let me say one other thing that really ticks me off about this. And I'm sort of all over the place, but ticks me off about this going to war with the schools by DeSantis and um, and Abbott and, Arizona governor, Doug Ducey, like those kids don't have a choice about whether or not they get to take a vaccine. Right. So you might be able to say, well, it's personal freedom for the adults because they get to choose whether or not they get to. Those kids don't have a choice if they're under 12. They can't. They're not eligible for the vaccine. So the only protection they have is universal masking because voluntary masking, frankly, does shit. It is not work. Not cool. It has been shown. The science is so clear that you've got to universally mask. Everybody's got to be wearing a mask. And then the transmission rate drops down significantly. It's so much safer for kids to be in school. It is their last line of defense. And that is what Abbott and DeSantis and Ducey and these depraved GOP governors are trying to take away from children is their last Fucking line of defense, and it really ticks me off. Sorry, I don't no, f can, on that long that often, but just you know, just screw them, man. Seriously,
0: no, but they're they're the pro life party, right? They're the ones that care about the children, about babies. Oh god, and and putting them at risk. You know, I'm glad you brought up uh, Donald Trump's rally where he got booed for talking about <laughs> vaccines, and and I'll say. You're Ron DeSantis and you're Greg Abbott. They're running for gu- for president in two years. They see that. They're like, they're not going to go anywhere near that anymore, right? They're they're not going. Th- that's a line that they're not going to step on. I will say this about Donald Trump that was really interesting is that after he was booed, he he did say, like oh, I, I, you have freedom. You have freedom. He had to repeat the whole you have freedom, personal freedom line like 50 times. But he still said, I got it. I still think you should get it he actually pushed a little more than he's ever pushed. And I was surprised he even pushed it to begin with. Yeah. I do wonder if somebody sort of slipped him a, like a piece of paper that showed him that the people that are now dying are his supporters. And some of these states were pretty tight. <laughs> so yeah. why is he systematically helping eradicate? I mean, you already had a census count that showed that the white only population, which is the most Republican population in the country is declining like literally their numbers are shrinking it's not that they're growing at a slower pace they are shrinking as a uh, in in raw numbers to the tune of about one percent per year over the last decade that is a calamitous collapse in the white only white only there's there's uh, in the white only population of this country and that's where the Republican base really sort of comes from and now, it, and, you know, we saw it a bit with the, with the withdrawal in Afghanistan, where Republicans, conservatives, instead of attacking Biden for having a, a chaotic retreat, have sort of reverted to, to racism, saying this, this was always the plan to bring Arabs to the United States so they could replace white people. There's, there's this white replacement theory that's floating around in those, in those fever swamps of the right. So now it's, 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 it's racism. This was all a big plan to bring Afghanis to the United States to make the United States more democratic, I guess. I don't know. Not very logical yeah. plan, but that that's what they're saying. So why would you, if you're so worried about the population of white people about your people and, and there's real fear, you can sense that fear, that that fear of being overwhelmed by people that don't look like you. Clearly it's a factor in the racism, the xenophobia, uh, just the behavior that we're seeing um, on the right. Why would you kill your own? Why would you take a tact that is literally surgically at this point killing off your own supporters? So we know that the unvaccinated are what? 50% Republican, right? Democrats are about 88% vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Florida, this last week, I think, I don't remember the exact number, but it was over 500 people died. Al Gore oh, lost for- Florida. Al lost Flor- Florida by 250 votes.
1: Right, right, Go ahead. right. It, well, and Fl- Florida at this point has become the first state to it, it, during the Delta surge to surpass their highest daily death toll during um, pre-vaccination times. Right. So in previous surges, right. So and 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 Texas is on the same trajectory. And let's just say what that means is is that these states under the stewardship of their governors are in worse shape from a public health standpoint post vaccination than they were pre-vaccination, right? They have the, the tools are there now and because DeSantis and Abbott are so depraved and such terrible leaders and such panders, right? They are, they are, their states are in worse shape than they were pre-vaccination.
0: Yeah. And it's going to get worse, Carrie, because in those previous waves, as those numbers rose, public authorities were making changes to to quote flatten the curve." Right, we've been hearing about flattening the curve for for almost two years now. They were make they were instituting mask ordinances and social distancing and closing bars and restaurants and indoor venues. Um, none of that is happening now. So you're seeing that increase. Now it's happening in states that are. Being smart about it. It's not happening in Florida, in Texas, where they are literally suing and threatening schools and businesses that are trying to protect uh, people. And so this is not a curve that looks to be flattened anytime soon because they are literally fighting legally, administratively. They are fighting efforts flat flatten that curve. So I think we're about to hit uncharted territory. And we're also seeing this carry in South Dakota, all these Republican states, right? It's just Texas and Florida have so many people that that that's where the, the real numbers are coming out of. But we're seeing this factor in basically all of rural America. So between rural states, uh, Republican-led states, and then even in places like California where the rural areas just ignore the mandates from the state, right? Because City dwellers ain't going to tell them what to do, right? So okay, they're all they're all dying off, and I don't understand why they're they're accelerating their exit from the electorate. To use a favorite I, I, euphemism well, of I, mine, here here
1: here's my theory on why they're not doing that is because none of them uh, they're all demagogues. None of, none of them are actual leaders, right? None of them actually lead people. They just figure out what people want to hear and then they tell it to them and they do it. So so my, my theory is, you know, I mean, it seems stupid, but none of them are actually leadership, good enough leaders, right, to be able to steer away from what seems like a, you know, like, beaming red light saying danger danger don't go this way. They don't they don't actually have the ability to lead their flock away from it. They 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 can only follow the flock, which is what we heard from uh Trump. He wasn't able to lead that discussion. He tried to push something and then he ended up following it. And that's exactly what DeSantis and and um And Abbott are doing, you know, I want to ask one other thing, too, though, that you mentioned you brought up the withdrawal and the chaotic withdrawal. And I think it's worth because right now we've got a bunch of, you know, Biden's President Biden's approval ratings are falling. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got a bunch of Democrats on the Hill. There's they're trying to pound out this uh, these two bills um, on infrastructure and jobs that would be historic. But there's reports, and I don't doubt this, having reported on the Hill and having reported in Washington, I can just see it now that, that congressional Democrats are really worried about Afghanistan, the withdrawal, Biden's numbers. And I'm not saying that, you know, these aren't significant things to take into consideration. I just wonder what your feel is on on whether, on how much the withdrawal Could play in next year's midterms, if really at all. Um, I I think it could be a something in twenty twenty four, personally. But I don't know how. Yeah, (laughs) but Uh,
0: but the midterms policy, yeah, foreign policy, very rarely, very rarely uh, impacts elections. I mean, you have the Iran uh, hostage situation that helped Ronald Reagan back out in nineteen eighty. It's like it can happen. But it's rare, and that was a much different media environment than what we have now. And so we are so distracted by the next shiny thing that a withdrawal that was chaotic for what six, seven days, and now it's actually become pretty well oiled. You know, I think twenty five thousand people were, were pulled out in just the last two days alone, which is.
1: I think just, overall, overall, we're at fifty thousand evacuees yeah. now.
0: And you had CNN reporter on the ground, you know, four or five days ago saying they'll never get 50,000 now. Right. Boom. You know, 50,000. You still have another week left. So it happens. And so to me, it, it's Republicans in, a, like, in like I said earlier, they already shifted into this racist narrative. Right. That this is all about white replacement theory. And, and these Afghans are being co- brought to the U.S. to to uh, to dilute Republican voting power, whatever the the nonsense is, right? So they they can't keep that target. So I just don't see how it's going to have any resonance, particularly since we have so much. We have over a year left, and there's going to be so much that's going to happen that this is going to be pretty well in the rearview mirror by then. So we have Secretary Castro ready to join us. So let me introduce him. Former Democratic presidential candidate, mayor of San Antonio, and Obama-era Secretary of Housing and Urban Development Julian Castro. He's been recently been pounding Abbott, Texas Governor uh, Abbott, lack of leadership on the pandemic, among other failures, such as the big freeze of February
2: 2021.
0: Welcome, Secretary, and boy is Texas becoming ground zero for for the fight, isn't it?
2: Uh, of course, It absolutely. I mean. It's very fitting, right? Uh, Texas, everything is big in Texas, including the controversy and including the failures of these Republican statewide leaders. They've been in charge of this state uh, for, uh, you know, going basically on 30 years now. And especially this 15 months, 16 months, whatever we're at now, the pandemic, those failures have been on high display. The winter storm you mentioned more recently, this surge of COVID, this really boneheaded, knuckleheaded refusal of the governor to allow schools to do everything that they can to protect kids. There are a lot of people who are leaving the Republican Party in Texas. They were already leaving. Uh, Trump only won the state by five and a half points. I say only because Obama lost Texas by 16 points in 2012. Uh, So, you know, these guys are putting on full display their failures.
1: Have you seen have you seen numbers that reveal that that in Texas where uh, Republicans are leaving the party there? Have you seen, do you have, you know, sort of uh, quantitative proof of that?
2: You know, I haven't seen anything in this cycle. I did last cycle that showed that their Republican identification in Texas, like nationally, actually, in the 2018, 2020 cycle was down. Uh, And you could see maybe most importantly, the, the byproduct of that in the 2018 cycle. Uh, we picked up two congressional seats, Democrats did, uh, two state Senate seats, and then also 12 House seats, and essentially held those in 2020. So, y'all remember, like right after the election, there was a lot that was made about what happened in South Texas and did some of the, the Hispanic, the Latino uh, vote migrate over to Republicans? You know, there were a, a couple of counties where that may have been the case, and, you know, there was some slippage, but overall, Uh, The bigger story was that the gap closed from nine points in 2016 to five and a half points for Biden against Trump in 2020, and everything else basically held. And, you know, I have to imagine that uh, as bad as they've gotten uh, in February with the winter storm and then more recently with COVID, that they're going to continue to bleed people, especially folks in those suburbs uh, you, you can just see folks who used to be these business Republicans scratching their head saying, you know, what in the hell happened to this party? This is not reflective of who I am or what I believe.
1: Yeah. And their governor's trying to get their kids killed. So
2: fascinating that you have, I think, like, you know, probably 70, 75 school districts, maybe more by now that defied the governor and have passed mask mandates. Mind you, this is in not only the big cities, but also some of these rural school districts that were Trump country in 2016 and 2020. So it's like this rebellion that is spreading all over the state that's going beyond the the usual suspect big cities into the suburbs and even into some of the, the rural areas.
0: So I I, to me, the biggest tell that Republicans are really fearful that they're losing control of Texas is the fact that they just pushed through these voter restrictions, you know, voter suppression uh, legislation in a special session that they were so obsessed to make it harder to vote. And that doesn't come from a position of of confidence and strength. What I do wonder, though, is is. The first half of the show, uh, Secretary, we were talking about Florida, but the same thing really applies to Texas is this obsession with making it harder to protect our children and our communities. What is the political calculation? Because we've been trying to figure this out for a while now, and nothing seems to make sense, at least not mathematical sense. Uh, Do you have any idea why Abbott is so obsessed with making children unsafe in Texas?
2: Well, to to these Republican statewide office holders, if you don't vote in the Republican primary, they don't care about you. All they're gunning for, the only thing that they care care about is winning that Republican primary because they have gotten so overconfident that as long as they win their Republican primary, they're going to win the state. And in the case of Greg Abbott, he actually has two challengers in former state Senator Don, Don Huffine's and uh, former congressman and former Texas uh, Republican Party chair, Alan West, I say that, you know, with a little bit of, of uh, laughter because he was a Florida congressman that all of a sudden showed up in Texas and took the <laughs> chair of the Republican Party in short order. He resigned. He's running against Greg Abbott. These two guys are actually seen as further to the right than Greg Abbott. Conservatives really haven't trusted Greg Abbott. You know, the other day, y'all may have seen uh, Ted Cruz uh, announced at this conservative group in front of this conservative gathering that he was going to support Greg Abbott, and he got booed on stage. And the leader wow, of the group I missed that. Up, yeah, the leader of the group showed up in this Don Huffines for Governor T-shirt. They think that he's a finger-in-the-wind politician that doesn't really believe what they believe that basically, you know, will do the least amount he has to. But then, you know, he's also, of course, not a Democrat, and he's not a principled moderate either. He's an opportunist. And so what he's trying to do right now, where he sees the opportunity, is to play like Donald Trump and to just try and win that Republican base, Mm. get them over to his side as much as possible, fend off these two hard right guys, win the primary, and then I'm sure he's going to start singing after that, uh, about you know how we can all work together, and this is a great growing state, and I'm a governor for everybody. But I don't think that people are going to forget that he was willing to throw their kids overboard and risk their health just to win this Republican primary.
1: So, Secretary Castro, we have to ask you because you recently tweeted. Uh, This week, because Pfizer had approved, uh, was was fully approved uh, by the FDA, and you tweeted about that, and you said Texas businesses should be allowed to require proof of vaccination, because, of course, Abbott has done an executive order and also signed a law that punishes anyone that requires any sort of vaccine passport, and then you said... Governor Abbott has done a terrible job getting Texans vaccinated. Only 46% of the state is fully vaccinated. It's time for leadership. Who might that leader be? Secretary Castro, are you thinking of running for something in Texas?
2: I mean, I've been very upfront. Like, I haven't completely taken that off the table, but it's very, very unlikely for me. I feel like I just went through this marathon of 2020 (laughs) just finished running. And so, like, you know, I I am confident that by the December deadline, because the filing deadline is until December, that we're going to have a strong Democratic candidate. There are any number of people that if they stepped up especially under these circumstances, I think would be not only credible, but actually strong Democratic candidates. We're in a midterm year uh, with a Democratic president. Everybody knows that, you know, historically, the, the trend is challenging. But we've seen that trend buck, right after 9-11, for instance, for yeah. George W. Bush, you would think that if there's a cycle where Americans might buck that trend, it would be where we saw the calamity of what happened with COVID under Donald Trump, right. uh, and how Joe Biden has come in and cleaned up that mess, and delivered more competence, more results, shots in arms, people going back to work—you uh, know—the kind of America, the kind of government where even if people don't necessarily like government, and in Texas, of course, there are a good number of those—they recognize that you need a government that knows what it's doing, that is that is effective, that is competent. Uh, and they can walk and chew gum at the same time. Biden is delivering that so perhaps we can buck that trend in 2022 here in Texas and nationally also.
0: Yeah, I think it helps also that Trump doesn't want to exit the uh, the limelight. so if we want to make 2020 to another referendum on Donald Trump, that's actually kind of okay with uh, with me too. I think that would be very helpful. so you you alluded earlier to uh, Obama lost Texas by 15. Hillary Clinton lost it by nine. Joe Biden lost it by five and a half. The trend is is clear. What do we need to do to close that last 5%? And do you see anything in the census data that might might hint at what that looks like?
2: Uh, Yeah, you know, the other day uh, the census data came out and there was this, I mean – you know, Texas grew by, I think, 4 million people. It's 29.1 million people now. It's growing like crazy. And I live in San Antonio. San Antonio is the seventh largest city in the country. This corridor between here and Austin just exploding with growth. The New York Times did a story on New Braunfels that they called a remote town, which really isn't remote. Uh, but that and San Marcos, they're all growing. But but the most fascinating statistic um, in, in the write-ups was that, For I think the new growth, it was like ninety five percent people of color. That was one thing. Secondly, for people under the age of eighteen, so basically kids, Latinos, Latinx folks already account for forty eight point five percent of that group. That group, and the African American community, Asian American community also growing. Both native born Texans like my brother Joaquin and I, but also a lot of people that have come from other states that expect government that is more robust, more effective, more honest, uh, less corrupt, like we've had here. All of that, I think, is changing the state. So uh, I tweeted out to that data, uh, you know, that I heard the Rolling Stones ringing in my ears. And, like, hardly anybody retweeted. Nobody got it. Like, I guess they didn't realize the song I was referencing was, Time is on my side. <laughs> you know, like, It's all these, like, 25-year-olds on Twitter that don't, you know, like, (laughs) Sawyer, who's on his, like, 29 or... Anyway, yes, you know, demographics, as people have pointed out, isn't necessarily destiny. However, there's a very clear trend. And what Democrats need to do to close that gap is to organize, 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 don't give up on anybody, but also bring people into the fold that haven't always been in the fold, Don't take communities of color for granted just because they voted Democratic. You know, that's getting down to the Valley of Texas and delivering the message and competing down there. But I'm confident that that uh, we can do that here.
0: Yeah. Carrie, hold on. Let me ask one more follow up on that, because uh, it's it's interesting that you mentioned people coming from out of state. And I've seen Texas Republicans bragging about austin becoming sort of this hub that is is taking jobs from the bay area from california right you have tesla and you have apple and you have all these in i think google also. and i just keep thinking do they not realize that they're importing california (laughs) into central texas i mean they're not bringing in idaho right they're bringing in the bay area
2: yeah yeah i mean the deal is that is particularly not starting with, but really under Rick Perry and now under Greg Abbott, the state has thrown billions and billions of dollars at you know tech companies, other companies who have been relocating their usually their U.S. headquarters or if they're a U.S. company their global headquarters to Texas, <clears throat> and that's bringing a lot of people that are not from Texas, all right? Uh, and it's bringing a lot of people with different politics from where the state is at. And so, in that sense, you're right that they are victims of, you know, what they have called their success of yeah. incentivizing these companies with low taxes and low regulation uh, and so forth. Well, okay. You know, they <laughs> coming, and what they're doing is they're voting in people like Colin Allred uh, and Lizzie Fletcher. You know, in the in the suburbs of Dallas and the yep. suburbs of Houston. And exactly. he never exactly. loves Yeah.
1: Well, speaking of, so so speaking of congressional districts and and you know members, so you guys picked up two seats right in the census. Given that the growth, as you say, is all in these uh, you know in these <clears throat> or mostly predominantly in these suburb I mean this urban and suburban areas mm-hmm. and the rural areas are are thinning out just about everywhere across the country. How do you think that's gonna affect what Republicans try to do with you know with the districts, the two new districts? I mean, is it gonna make it significantly harder for them to gerrymander, you know, to squeeze more, you know, more seats out? Or is it or is this is it not going to be that hard for them to do what they need to do?
2: Well, I mean they've been downright diabolical about it. Uh shameless, right? I mean they were yeah. shameless before on this before Donald Trump, you know, turned shameless into basically the theme of the Republican Party for so many folks. But I mean there is no, of course there's no neutral or commission style redistricting. It's going to be yeah. it's going to be in the hands of a Republican governor, Republican controlled legislature probably. In Texas, there is kind of this odd, historically, there has been more of a working relationship between Republicans and Democrats, even sometimes on redistricting. But at the end of the day, especially on redistricting, they're going to be as partisan as they can be. And they're going to try and get away with uh, as far as they can go. Uh, I'm sure it'll end up in court like it has the last couple of times. They'll go as far as they can to try and maximize the number of Republican seats. And even though 95% of that growth in Texas was people of color, 65% uh, Latino, they'll try and find a way to to nullify that.
0: Sort of taking a step back from Texas and looking at that national picture, we have this big 2022 election. Earlier, you talked about the historical trends that really run against us, even without redistricting. We don't know what the House is going to look like, the House map, but the party that is in the White House, their first midterm, they lose an average of over 30 seats in the House. We're going to work to to really um, offset those historical disadvantages to the, to the extent we can. What do you think Joe Biden and Democrats in Congress need to do to maximize their chances of holding on to Congress? And I want you to sort of keep in mind that Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin exist, right? Sure. So what can we yeah. do realistically
2: to win next well, year? They need to deliver results. That's why, you know, as far as things go, I think the Biden administration is off to a fairly strong start. I mean, that's borne out in the numbers, but really it's close to the ground, what they're getting accomplished, right? Getting these shots into people's arms, making sure they're healthier, reducing that anxiety that people have, especially senior citizens, who are more, more vulnerable, making sure the economy gets back up and going, that people have a job. They're getting back to work, that they're protected from things like eviction. Uh, all of these things that people feel very in, intimately in their daily lives. It's not some theoretical. It's not a debate about an issue. It's, Hey, look, you know, $300 showed up in my bank account when we needed it. And that's been, you know, a godsend for us to be able to provide for our kids. I, I like that. I like the track that the administration is on there. Obviously, elections are not only about those things. They're also about issues where there is a lot more, you know, contentiousness. And sometimes you're not going to see the results, you know, every month with a deposit in the bank account. Right. But things like climate change, things like uh, making sure that what happened to George Floyd doesn't happen again uh, on immigration as well. That's another issue. You need those to keep the Democratic coalition together. Uh, and so when it comes to Joe Manchin, when it comes to Kirsten Cinema, especially when we're talking about voting rights, it means they have to figure out a way to come together and to pass a version of the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. You know, that can look different ways. It can be a compromise if it has to be. But on that and these other issues, you know, but voting rights is so essential, they, they have to figure out a way. To come together as a caucus and and to make sure that they can get these le- these pieces of legislation through and then amp up the base and do good work with all of these other issues, climate change, immigration, and so forth.
1: Yeah, we can maybe get back to voting rights in a second. I do have a question, though. So you're talking about deliverables, concrete things, right? Uh, you know, shots in arms, checks in people's banks, bank accounts, et cetera. Messaging-wise, do you think – do you get the sense in Texas that voters know who's responsible for that $300 child tax credit that showed up in, in their bank account? Do you, do you think that messaging-wise, Democrats, the Biden administration are hit, hitting the nail on the head here? Because there's definitely been polling we've seen that has, has suggested otherwise –
2: well, you remember, of course, all of this conversation from the Obama years, right? All the great yeah. work that the Obama administration was doing. But it, oftentimes, gosh, it was like there was a, just an a inability to break through. Or people were just not giving the administration credit. But I think it was both ways, right? I think if you ask a lot of folks in the administration, I served in the administration for two and a half years. That was a real challenge, the messaging I do think the Biden administration is is building on the work of the Obama administration, doing a stronger job with messaging. Um, the way that I always thought about thought about it was like Obama didn't like sing his own praises uh, and the praises of the administration and its accomplishments. I, I thought as much as he should and get credit for it, whereas Trump. <laughs> like, sing his praises a hundred times more than even when he didn't deliver and lie about it and so forth. Like you know, you got to be more toward Obama, but in the in the area <laughs> of actually you know being truthful, but then also you look. I mean, in our day and age, you got to be a salesman or saleswoman. You as president, and you have to sell it. And administer this administration and future administrations. Uh, I think do have to step up their messaging but the good news is that what the administration has to sell is substance it's there and so that's less of a hard sell than a lot of other things
0: yeah one of the big frustrations is Donald Trump put his name on the on the relief checks right and then uh, Joe Biden came in and uh, we're not going to do that it's unseemly and it, it is unseemly but Still, you fight fire with fire. You do the same thing. You, you brand it. And if Congress doesn't like it, they can change it. And I'm sure Joe Biden would have been happy to sign that law. But uh, frustrations, frustrations. Uh, Carrie, you wanted to talk more about, about voters' rights.
1: Well, I thought you wanted to talk more about voters' oh. rights. <laughs> oh, no, it's, you know, probably yeah, you guys just—I mean, enter. You guys are ground zero for so many things: the COVID fight, yeah. the voting rights, et cetera. You just need to, to
2: just move down to Texas. Yeah, yeah,
1: we're going to be <laughs> on location in Texas next week. We have had a few Texas folks from Texas on, so. No, I mean yeah, you know it's happened. It. In the
2: New York Times a couple months ago just, just dispatched like three new. Uh, journalists throughout the state now, you know, three journalists in the scope of all the New York Times, course, and thing, <laughs> yeah, or journalists in general. But it is happening. I mean, the state, yeah, I but- think, unfortunately, in ba- too many times in bad ways. But look, we really are just on the doorstep of when this state does flip over, and it is going to flip over. I mean, you can tell that when it flips over, instead of being in so many ways a bad example. Think about how powerful a good example the state is actually going to be one day. And, and that's what, you know, that's what, you know, I try to, to hang on to and keep thinking about, even as we have to deal with all of these, these folks that are trying to take us backward.
1: So, Secretary,
0: what are you focusing on right now? What, what's your day to day work F- uh, focused on? Yeah.
2: So just about a month and a half ago, I became a, a MSNBC and NBC News political analyst. I'm doing that. And uh, we also still have our PAC and supporting good work of folks out there, um, progressive causes and efforts. Uh, I have my podcast, Our America. We finished the first season in April and our second season is starting in October. Uh, and then, uh, you know, My wife Erica and I have our two kids, uh, Christian and Karina, and they keep us very busy as well. I think for a lot lot of people, you know, the one silver lining of the pandemic time period has been getting to actually spend a lot more time at home because I was on the road so often at HUD. And then, of course, during the presidential campaign, that it was good to be able to settle down and, and actually get to see my kids grow up a little bit. And how old are they? My daughter's 12, and my son is 6. Oh, okay. Yeah, so good see. ages. Good, age. well, We're yeah. about to lose my daughter to teenagehood, you know. Uh. But other than
0: that. <laughs> Brace yourself. That's where I'm at. But
2: fortunately, she'll still let me walk her, you know, close to, to the school. But uh, I get the cold shoulder about, like, 30 yards away from the door. Right? <laughs> That's just going to get like longer and longer away soon. Yes. <laughs> I,
1: I, I feel compelled to ask you uh, because I know – You know, your brother, I'm sure that your brother and you are on the phone daily asking, telling each other what what they think. I'm kidding. But anyway, I I know that he's he's among some of the Texas Democrats who have been uh, critical of the chaos surrounding the uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan, the evacuation. How do you we we discussed earlier um, before you came on whether or not we thought this would affect 2022, if at all. But what's your view on that? I mean, they, these are these are images that, you know, that are chaotic. They're heart-wrenching in some cases. Um, you know, on the other hand, 50,000, at least 50,000 evacuees have already made it out safely. Uh, what's your, your theory on how this could affect 2022?
2: Yeah, there is no question that in, in the last few days, the last couple of days, that the administration and really our military uh, has shown this tremendous amount of ability and of concern for Americans who are there and also our allies. And they've done a much better job of, of, you know, getting an orderly evacuation going. Uh, you mentioned you know, 50,000 people over several days. So, I mean, it is up and going. I think at the beginning of it, because of the images and also this sense, uh, with the special immigrant visas, for instance, and, and, I think, in some cases, not bringing people a little bit earlier when it was known that there was going to be a withdrawal. You know, there was some, I think some of it was legitimate critique. But overall, it seems like they've gotten their footing back. My uh, word of, of concern to the administration would be that on refugees, asylees, and on migrants, that we need to have a positive, strong vision of our own for what that looks like, because we can't let Donald Trump's policies become the default for how we approach things, whether it's the fact that this year there have only been over 6,000 refugees that have actually come into the the United States until these ones started arriving very recently, or keeping Title 42, for instance, in place, which had never been used before on the border uh, and was resisted at the beginning by the CDC. Uh, I I think Joe Biden has uh, a really good heart for folks like refugees in Afghanistan that help the United States or for migrants who are seeking a better life. And my hope is that, you know, they'll make it a priority uh, to ensure that these systems are in place to strike compassion with common sense. And of course, the fact that if every nation has borders um, and they're going to be enforced. Uh, I think there is some work to do still there in the administration overall. So, uh,
0: Secretary Castro, what was the name of your podcast again? It's called Our America,
2: and Our America. Uh, the second season will start, you uh, know, uh, I think the second week of
0: October. Fantastic! Everybody, check out Our America with uh, Julian Castro, Secretary Castro. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure. To visit with you, and uh, hopefully we'll check in in in, in, uh, in uh, maybe in a few months and talk about Texas after after we start getting some candidates get really feel about the lay of the land and let's talk about how we're going to win Texas next year.
2: I hope so. Hey, thank y'all and thank you for what you do. It's good to be with you. Thank, thank you, you so much.
0: So he, he he did a good job of claiming he's not running next year. Um,
1: he did. The, I almost believed him.
0: The, the history of. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Candidates who claim not to be running is legion. So, right. so I, I would never take a a denial as a hard fact. Reality is that there are great Democrats in Texas. There aren't a lot of Democrats with really strong national profiles that I think would raise the kind of money you need in Texas. There's a few. Beto O'Rourke obviously comes to mind, and and I really you know hope, but a a Beto. Julian ticket, governor, lieutenant governor, or flip them, doesn't really matter. In Texas, a little fun fact is that the lieutenant governor actually has more power than the governor. But you have, you have attorney general's race. You, you have the entire uh, executive ticket in Texas is up for re-election. It's up for election next year. And so we're going to need a strong representative slate. And having some high-profile national names that will sit there and raise the money that we need, Texas is an insanely expensive state to run in. That's one of the challenges that Democrats have in flipping it. It's just how expensive it can be. But beyond that, anything else strike right. you, we have a couple minutes.
1: No, I, mean, I, I think, look, if you were a young and ambitious politician in Texas, next year might be a year that you would want to prosecute a campaign against, you, know, Texas Republicans. Who have, you know, presided over the big freeze of February 2021, who have presided over a raging COVID, you know, resurgence. Which it's only going to get worse. It's not getting. Which any is only going to get worse. You know, uh, and and you know, you have. You have population centers that are growing that they may be able to gerrymander in congressional districts. Republicans may be able to gerrymander congressional districts and state legislative districts and whatever, but they can't gerrymander the whole state. <laughs> you know, it's like so. So if you're a young and ambitious politician with name recognition, I'd sure as heck think twice about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and uh, we don't know what districts Republicans are gonna are gonna draw, and they have some conundrums too because those rural areas that they used to to um, that are the bulk of their their sort of House majority in the state they've emptied out. They they are emptying out, and so they used to lean heavily on the suburbs, but the suburbs have become either competitive or Democratic. And then they have this sort of next layer challenge because do they look at the 2018 results when Trump voters did not turn out or they look at 2020 maps when the Trump voters did come out? And it's a whole different um, equation whatsoever. So they're going to have to make some real decisions on what data they're going to use, what voters they can assume will turn out in the future. Because say they draw maps to maximize Republicans based on 2020 numbers when Trump voters came out and then those voters don't turn out you have a much different, you know, outcome. Sure. Um, so so they, they, I think Texas Republicans have some real challenges. And again, the fact that they are voting to suppress the vote tells you all you need to know, because right. Democrats in California, they're not voting to suppress the vote because they're not worried right. about winning an elections fair and square, right? I mean, when you see a party starting to suppress the vote, that's when you know they've lost the popular vote uh, or popular support and they're sure. using mechanical, institutional means to retain power. So, Carrie, that's our show for today. Thank you so much, for always, for being my co-host. Thank you, to Walter Einenkel, for producing the show. Uh, Kara Zelaya, for helping out with the social media. Thank you for watching every Tuesday. Uh, you can... Follow us on Twitter at DailyCoast. Please like, subscribe, whether it's YouTube or Facebook Live or your favorite podcasting platform. Make sure you follow, like, and review. Thank you so much. See you next week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. You can always talk to us at DailyCoast.com or on Twitter at DailyCoast. See you next week.